Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. Hello, friend. I'm looking for Skywalker. I came to see the kid, Grogu. So the episode starts off, and from the desert comes, well, somebody that we know, Cobb Vanth. Our old friend, the sheriff of Moss Pelgo, he sees the spice uh, running pikes and basically says, get off of our turf. Uh, They're not too eager on that. Uh, he shoots a bunch of them and then scares off the last one uh, and then dumps out the spice, showing that uh, he is a true man of honor and that he doesn't want this spice muddying up his town. We then cut to space and the Mandalorian has is flying into a very lush planet. And who is on the surface but R2-D2? R2-D2, uh, a droid, which is Mando's, not necessarily his favorite, uh, guides him through the forest to uh, a bunch of other droids that are building the Jedi Temple for what we can pretty much assume is, wait a minute, that's Luke Skywalker's Jedi Temple that Ben Solo destroys. Uh, from then on, uh, Din has to wait. We cut to Luke and Grogu training. Uh, they're uh, around a bunch of frogs and Grogu's very curious. Uh, Luke is telling Grogu about uh, his experiences with Yoda. Grogu has some flashbacks to his time uh, in the Jedi Academy and, uh, and his memories there. And then of course of Order 66. Uh, we then cut to Din who is awakened by Ahsoka who we now see is also on this planet. Uh, Ahsoka tells Din that uh, the reason that he's here is probably more for himself than for Grogu, but in that same vein, uh, she's willing to take his gift to Grogu for him uh, if he's willing to let Grogu make the decisions on his own and not be overly pressured by seeing somebody that he loves. So this is tough for Din, but Din leaves. We then cut to more training between uh, Grogu and Luke. Luke is uh, getting him to remember how to jump and how to really leverage the force and be more in combat and acrobatics. Uh, Ahsoka and him have a bit of a conversation as well about uh, the attachment that he has with Mando. We then cut back to uh, Boba Fett finally for the first time <laughs> in a really long time. Uh, we have a roundtable meeting of Boba's team and all of his gang and essentially uh, they need some more uh, people, uh, feet on the ground. And so Din says, well, let me go see if I can get some recruits. Din goes to Mos Pelgo where he's going to see Cobb Vanth to recruit some extra help. They discuss uh, potentially joining Boba's little army against the Pikes. Uh, Din uh, uses basically Obi-Wan's logic of you must see this is a symbiotic circle. Uh, and from there, uh, Cobb is not really convinced, but from the desert comes a stranger. Mm. And this stranger has decided to prove Din's point for him. Uh, this is the baddest, meanest, ugliest bounty hunter the galaxy has seen over the last 50 years. This is Cad Bane, hey. the former mentor to Boba Fett and the <clears throat> most ruthless bounty hunter there is. And we see this by him outdrawing Cobb Vanth and his deputy, shooting both of them. Cobb, likely not dead, deputy, very, very dead. And Cad Bane proving the point that, hey, the Pikes are going to continue to do business. Just don't get in the way and everything is going to be fine. Don't side with Boba and everything is going to be fine. Then we cut to, once again, Luke and Grogu. Oh, geez, this so much happened in this episode. We cut, yeah. to the <laughs> we cut to the sanctuary where uh, a couple of pikes are in there. Uh, they sit down for a drink, leave immediately, and they forget their Camtono, which has a bomb. It explodes the sanctuary, so it's no longer there. 
Then we cut to Luke and Grogu where uh, they're meditating and Luke pulls out the gift from Din as well as Yoda's lightsaber. Wow. Giving the biggest, uh, what is it? Um, what's her name? Sophie's Choice since, uh, well, Sophie's Choice. And uh, we are left on that amazing cliffhanger of what is Grogu going to choose? The life of the Mandalorian or the life of the Jedi because there can only be one. And that is the most exciting episode of Mando season 2.5 because it sure was not the book of Boba Fett. <laughs> Yet again, I'm, I'm really overwhelmed. I don't even know where to begin. And I feel like we've, ta- we've started a lot of podcasts that recap episodes of TV that have that kind of tone. Certainly that was the case a little bit last week and it was absolutely the case after the season two uh, finale of, of Mando. To see Luke like a little bit was such an exciting novelty. Um, and yes, there was a bit of a tease that maybe they could do a little bit more with that capability going forward. I kind of thought they would be more sparing even than they were in this one episode of another show entirely. <laughs> um, I think I don't want to talk about Luke just yet. Can we start by talking about uh, Cobb Vanth? Because that's where the episode begins. Absolutely. So great to see him return. This is like one of the top five coolest people I've ever seen with my eyes. <laughs> he is so smooth. It's and insane. It's executed flawlessly. Uh, he just comes across with so much honor and swagger at the same time in this opening shot. And he's so different, though, because he's so slight here. And he doesn't yeah. have the armor, but he's still got all the swagger. He has a ridiculous amount of movie star charisma. And we've talked before about the metacasting of someone like Timothy Oliphant in a Western milieu. And that was a little bit more true with The Mandalorian as a TV show than it turns out to be uh, of Boba Fett, which is actually not really a Western in the same sense. Um, But as soon as Cobb Vanth enters it, it's more Western than it's ever been. Like literally a black hat walks into town and there's a shootout and we show like fingers trembling over, over triggers. It's like it not just, it doesn't end at terms like sheriff. He has like a bit of a Southern drawl here in Freetown. It's, I love when they lean right into the genre. That's something that excites me in Star Wars. And with Timothy Oliphant, they're, they're perfectly equipped to do that. And it was such a treat to get it out of this show. Now, he is very cool and a son of a bitch in his first two scenes in this episode. In the third one, obviously it's incredibly compelling. This deputy he has is immediately irritating. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as soon as the other guy rolls into town too, you're like, oh, well, the deputy's not long for this world. You can't even stay inside. Um, I agree that Cobb is probably not dead, if only because what a terrible waste that would be. Yeah, and it looks like he was shot in the shoulder as well. And uh, they, just, they, were, they were yelling for medical supplies, so it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, there was just like one of those big guys kind of looked up at the horizon after checking on Cobb, and it, it seemed a little bit uh, ominous to me, but I, I suspect he'll be okay, it, if only because like Mando has to come back and check on him. Uh, hmm. The thing about this uh, this bounty hunter, say his name again. Cad Bane. Cad Bane. You've, you've mentioned this guy before, but that's not a name in my Star Wars Rolodex. I, I mm-hmm. I'm familiar with it only because you've you've said it a few times, but I couldn't have even have told you that Cad Bane was a bounty hunter. And so 
a weird thing happens where they reveal his red eyes like you're supposed to put it together in that moment. And, and maybe a few of you are, but most people aren't. And he asks him twice what his name is and Cad Bane doesn't tell him either time. And so it does kind of create this idea of like, well, this is going to be a name you recognize when for most people it isn't. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily know if that's I think I wonder what someone who has no idea about Cad Bane thinks of something like this, that's because the me, red though. eyes. Well, no, but you knew that you felt like you were. I don't know. OK, maybe that is a good question then, because I, I think if you maybe feel like you were almost missing out on the reveal, is that what I'm getting? Well, I'll put it like this. He had blue skin and I was like, is this Thrawn dressed like a like a cowboy? Oh, OK. Well, I'll, also, do you know that Thrawn has red eyes? Because that would have that would have made it even worse. <laughs> I, I do know that only because I've seen him on the covers of Timothy Zahn books. And I figured like, yeah. well, that's, it doesn't look exactly like how I've seen him illustrated before. But like he has blue, uh, blue face and, and red eyes and he is obviously very sinister. And so I'm like, this could definitely be Thrawn because Thrawn's been hinted at a year ago in this universe. Yeah, that's very fair. Totally different species. Uh, Cad Bane is a Durot and uh, Thrawn is a Chiss. And so that makes complete sense, though, that you would think that I mean, blue skin, red eyes, evil bad guy that is kind of appearing out of nowhere. But for the people that knew the character, the silhouette is all that you needed to see. There's no one else in Star Wars that wears that hat. That oh. hat is Cad Bane. He is he is based off of the bad or or the ugly and the good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't remember which one he's based off of, but he is supposed to be this ridiculous Western, like so over the top, but at the same time, so bloody cool. Like he has rocket boots as yeah. opposed to like a jetpack and. I it's I think I saw it more as I was hoping, I guess, that you would have had a similar reaction to this as you had with Black Crescenton, where it's just this is, oh, this big badass looking Wookiee or this this big badass looking guy who's coming in clearly working for the Pikes. I did. Don't get me wrong. I was like, who's this dude? He's awesome. And I didn't necessarily think he was Thrawn, but that's the only name I could pull at based on the few um, gotcha. visual cues I was being given. Regardless. I'm psyched to see this guy, unless, of course, he killed Cobb Vanth, which I think would be a huge missed opportunity. But, like, this guy is going to play a role going forward. So, that's yeah, there, there, there is a chance that he could die in the next episode, even. It would be disappointing, but you would get enough out of being able to maybe reuse him in other shows at other timelines. So, a little bit of backstory on Cad Bane. Cad Bane was hired by uh, Palpatine on number of, sorry, the Emperor on a number of occasions, or actually, sorry. Darth Sidious on a number of occasions <laughs> <laughs> to basically uh, kidnap senators, uh, to kidnap uh, children of the force. Uh, that was some. That was one of Cad Bane's major tasks. Uh, he was in charge of other bounty hunters when they were working on tag team missions. He was the greatest of an era. Mm -hmm. He was somebody that was always like head to head with Jango Fett and took Boba a little bit under his wing. Uh, so there was going to be a Clone Wars arc where he really took Boba under his wing. And in the end, it settles up with a duel. And the duel is supposed to be what gives Boba the dent in his helmet. And Cad Bane, we don't know what happens to Cad Bane. We, assumes this, we assumed that that's how he would die. But he shows up in the Bad Batch 
He shows up in Bad Batch chasing down Omega, mm. who is Boba Fett's sister. And he has a patch on his head. He gets his hat blown off in one spot. And you see a metal patch on his head as if he's been like nicked in the side of the head and has been repaired and thus has had this duel with Boba Fett. Ah, so it is to be believed, although not executed in canon, that Boba Fett and Cad Bane had a duel to the death after their mentorship process, with both resulted in each other getting shot in the head mm -hmm. and both somehow leave, uh, living to tell the tale. So do you think uh, that Boba Fett's going to finish the job in this series? Is going to kill him once and for all? And they never showed it. So there's a chance they could show it now. Yeah. Uh, they could do, redo that same duel, finish it off, or they could kind of keep things going. But this puts a much better villain in front of the face of the Pikes. The Pikes aren't interesting enough on their own. Having Cad Bane being the guy to do the dirty work, that's what I want to see. And they brought Corey Burton back to do the voice, which was necessary because the voice is the most iconic part, except for maybe the hat. Uh, but he has, uh, like he's taken on Jedi and he's taken on Anakin and Ahsoka and Obi-Wan and all at the same time, actually, and done decently well against all three of them at the same time. <laughs> like this is a, an incredible, incredible fighter and, uh, just bounty hunter. I hope we didn't lose too many people in the first few episodes of Book of Boba Fett, which obviously were like underwhelming for a lot of folks because mm -hmm. it's shaping up to all be a part of the Mandoverse that we already established was phenomenal and so that's really exciting let's work backwards let's go back to boba's palace where we did see him for the first and only time in two full episodes but am i wrong to it to to remember that he didn't have any lines did fennec do all the talking in that scene fennec did all the talking that's yeah. nuts that's like i mean i'm sorry tomorrow morrison but like how does he feel about this being the namesake of the show and being benched to this extent like this is he loves it how do you know and why? Because he, spe he specifically, well, I don't know if he maybe loves being benched, but he has said specifically that the best of the season was yet to come. And this was before the episodes where he was benched. And yeah. also he specifically, whenever John Favreau wasn't on set, try and tried to give his lines to Ming-Na Wen being like, oh, Boba doesn't need to say this. Mm. Like Fennec can say this. And, and Ming-Na was just like, oh, you're being generous. And he's like, no, Boba's mysterious. He doesn't need to say all these things. <laughs> and uh, John was like, no, you're going to say what I need you to say. <laughs> Today, I was reading this book by William Goldman called Adventures in the Screen Trade. And he's kind of delineating the difference between a character actor and a movie star. And he told this fascinating story about uh, the movie. I think it's the movie Marathon Man, wherein uh, Dustin Hoffman, who at the time was one of the biggest movie stars in the world and in the truest sense, um, there's a scene where Dustin Hoffman's character has to, in the middle of the night, here's a bump in the night, and he has to reach into his bedside table and pull out a flashlight and uh, engage in like a scuffle with a person who has broken into his house. And Dustin Hoffman's issue with the character is that he doesn't believe the character would have a flashlight in his bedside table. The director says, well, lots of people have flashlights in their bedside table. And, and Dustin Hoffman says, well, I'm not playing lots of people. I'm playing this guy. And so he put up this ridiculous fight about how he couldn't authentically play the character if he didn't really believe in this aspect of the of the writing and William Goldman all along is just very sure that it had nothing to do with the honesty of art that Dustin Hoffman just didn't want anyone to think his character was a baby and so 
it's this hilarious story about about egos and how movie stars and that's one of the big differences between character actors and movie stars is that uh, movie stars aren't really concerned with anything except for how they come off, which is a little bit of a harsh criticism. But I, hmm. I, I say all this to to say that definitely in this instance, Tomorrow Morrison belongs in the other camp. Like he just wants the show to be better. And if it comes at the expense of his screen time or his getting to say the cool line, obviously we celebrate that and, and, and good for him. Yeah, absolutely. And he just seems like such a likable guy too yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that definitely adds uh, adds to it but he was right in saying the best was yet to come well, these episodes have been incredible and boba should be in them more or they should have done a better job of maybe dispersing this season yeah and, or it's, it's very, naming it something different entirely it's very but, oddly balanced and it's strange that they've given it the name the book of boba fett because we wouldn't otherwise be having this problem star wars has a long history of of hmm. telling its tv stories in these little contained arcs we've talked about a, a lot of that in the animated series before and so they've done that very similarly with the Boba and the Tusken Raiders arc and how he establishes his crime syndicate and how he got out of the Sarlacc and everything. That was a four-episode arc. And if you view it contained, fine. It's an installment of Star Wars. But the overall show is called Book of Boba Fett. And so while this week's episode and last week's too are individually great episodes of television, they're not great episodes of the Book of Boba Fett because Agreed. they don't I mean, they do contribute to the overall story. I guess I come back to what I said last week about how Star Wars isn't a very unique situation in how they get to approach storytelling in this big, broad sense. Marvel is the only one that has has a similar opportunity in terms of like what they know their audience has already seen and their ability to blend stories. Um, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I just think of like when I think of the Clone Wars and the number of arcs that weren't about the Clone Wars... I think that it could have been easier to just make like a f that four episode arc or make it three episodes like we talked about for the first four episodes and just put that in the Mandalorian and just make this Mandalorian season three. Uh, I think it, it and then it guarantees you're getting people to watch it and you're not getting people to fall off the Mandalorian by a three episode interlude about Boba Fett when they know that that's what it is. And then you just need like, I don't know five minutes of uh, cutting to Din in like episode two, just so that you're like reminded that it's, oh yeah, that's still going on. Right. It just, I, it just feels uh, very sh strange decision-making wise, but maybe that's all I want to say about it because I enjoy it so much sure. and it's such incredible television that it just seems confusing and disappointing in that it's going to limit the number of people who will see it, but it doesn't, take away from the fact that this might be one of the most rewatchable things it is. Star Wars has ever given me. It's incredible. And that's incredible. Yeah. 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 Oh, my, I can't even imagine the Easter eggs in this that we've yet to uh, draw, although you probably discovered a lot more than I did. So in this uh, meeting, uh, of course, Din has arrived at the palace now, which is exciting. Black Chrysanthemum's there. Timo Supremo's there. And also the mayor's... Um, uh, Major Domo is there, which I found interesting. Yes. Is he an ally now? No, he's kidnapped. Oh, he was just kind of standing around in the room. Well, yeah, they... What, what is he going to do? Try run. and run away? <laughs> You're right. That's good. That's that's a good point. Uh, uh, no, he they they have had him, uh, I think, chilling in the, the adjacent Rancor pit, probably. Yeah, yeah, probably so. 
Um, in there the was, garrison. There was a cool cut between uh, that and when we went back to Cobb Vanth where we saw the skull of a crate dragon on top of the Jawa crawler, which was so yes. huge. It was so cool. <laughs> I know. And like, I forget who mentioned it, but I watched uh, a couple like uh, videos on the episode today just because I, I couldn't get enough Star Wars fix and listen to like a few Star Wars podcasts. Uh, and somebody mentioned it's crazy that that was like the 25th coolest thing that was in the episode. Yeah, it's forgettable <laughs> and, almost because of how much stuff there was here. <laughs> but it's still amazing. And it's a great tie back to like, it's very likely the head of the great dragon that was killed in Mando season two. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, okay. Uh, I guess Ahsoka is next. For some reason, it really didn't occur to me we might see her in this show. That would... it. Makes no sense that she's in this show. It makes no sense that she's on this planet. It makes no sense in any way, shape, or form. But I don't care. Oh, really? Because it was great to see her. So you don't <laughs> consider this a take back then? Like canonically, you don't have a problem with her being there because it seems like it is a special occasion that she's arrived there. It's a special occasion that we are seeing her. It's it's a special occasion for us. But it was played out in the way of oh, her like she's spoken with Luke a lot already. They've clearly engaged. Like maybe she arrived on this planet and that was the first time they met. I will be very disappointed if we never get to see their first encounter because that will feel like a far more important moment than seeing her be there to pass along the gift for Grogu sort of thing. Like that, that doesn't seem to align as much for me. Do you mean because of the Anakin of it all that it it would be symbolic that she's reunited with the Skywalkers? Cause she even hints at that in this episode. She says, you're so much like your father. Yeah. And uh, I'm a, I'm an old friend of the family and the, and maybe the, maybe the title of the episode, I'm an old friend of the family is an incredible, incredible line. It is an incredible line and there's so many potential ones, but that one is probably the one that takes the cake and her around R2. Mm -hmm. Like that is like they spent so much time together in the Clone Wars and they were so close with Anakin and to see the two of them there with Luke and the fact that like she didn't know that Anakin came back at the end and turned back to the light side of the force. Luke would have been probably the one that would have told her that or maybe she felt it in the force. But either way, just the conversations the two of them could have, will I ever see you again, perhaps, is not a good enough end to their conversing. We need to see more, absolutely. Uh, So that's something that it didn't make sense for her to be there because we didn't see how she got there. And it feels like we need to see how their relationship has formed. But I'm okay waiting to see that completely. And there was just so much... Like just the the glances that they share, there's so much you can unpack from that, uh, especially what we're going to get with Ahsoka and the fact that Hayden Christensen is going to be in that. And then you'll be able to kind of tie it back to these scenes with Luke. It's just so exciting. I mean, I just think it's a little bit of an Ahsoka appetizer because it's going to be a little while before we actually get to see her show. And so they're just like, hey, don't forget about this character who we like made a big deal of a year and a half ago. Like we're still working on that. And there's a lot of stuff uh, in the pipeline, but like, Sure, she's a part of the overall Force Tapestry right now, and we're, we're doing a big-time Force episode. And so uh, she, she's also just, like, useful there for expository mm-hmm. reasons. Like, it's it's just, uh, it's important that somebody, otherwise, and I guess we're going to talk about Luke now, otherwise, Luke would have had to have a private audience with Mando without Grogu present, and Luke would have had to be the one to say, I don't think it's, 
a good idea if you see him right now. And that would feel wrong because it would feel motivated by Luke's agenda within mm -hmm. the uh, the new academy. And so it's actually good that a third party gives Mando that heartbreaking perspective. And it was heartbreaking. And how many times are they going to break my heart over the separation between Mando and his little friend? How many times? Because oh, it was a few times in this episode, goddammit. <laughs> oh, I know. And you just, you want to see the two of them reunite. And he's got such a, like, a, like this... I, I'm I'm storming in here. My kid's in trouble, but like I don't care. My kid's my, my kid's my kid, and he can do no wrong, sort of thing. Yeah. Um. And uh, well, it's my choice to go see him, and <laughs> lines like that, and he just misses him so much, mm -hmm. and you can hear it in his voice, and like his voice cracks at one point. Uh, and the, when he just looks up in the distance and you can kind of see their silhouettes, um, it's just, it's so sweet. Although, did you see the point that this was super funny? I only saw it on my second, on obviously on the rewatch. It looks like uh, in the distance, if you zoom in, that uh, Luke bends down and gives Grogu nucks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? A fist bump. Gives, gives a little, little fist bump. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe, sure. <laughs> he might be handing him a rock or something, but from a distance, it just looks like he's giving Grogu a fist bump. Probably not, because this version of Luke is so uh, monas Delic. monasterial and 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 very mm. like almost stern and 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 solemn. Um, let's talk about deep him. Faked. Let's let's talk about <laughs> him. He is deep faked, it, and he it, looks awesome. Well, yes, that's. I mean, obviously, that's the discussion to be had here. I have to say up front that I've never seen a person youngified or or magically put into a Star Wars movie in a way that we didn't know was possible, you know, via Leia or Tarkin or Luke last year or the several different ways they've done it in the past. I've never seen it and not at first had wonder goggles, where the first mm -hmm. time I see it, I'm like, it's amazing. It's perfect. I see nothing wrong with it. And then over time, I can see stuff that's wrong with it. And there are a few examples that are more egregious than others. So I've only seen this episode once. I saw it with wonder goggles. Do you, it's definitely the best it's ever been. Do you think it's as sensational as I think it is? It is, it, it is as sensational as you think it is. How do we live in this world? It, it's incredible. It's insane. I've watched it. Uh, I watched it twice through, but I watched a couple scenes uh, a third time. And it's just so bloody good it shows that hiring shamook from youtube was the greatest decision ever yeah and uh he has come to life it's actually it's not uh max lloyd jones it's a guy named scott lang i okay. think uh and but like mark scott Engel, lang is the name of, of is... ant-man so probably... i know <laughs> okay all right so it's yeah the same. Okay. <laughs> I, I did look that up after because i was like that's a little odd but yeah. uh he also was the stunt double for uh bova in um the, the tragedy, the episode where Boba comes back and kicks an incredible amount of ass. Okay. So it's, it's that same guy. I don't, I don't know what he looks like. Well, but. it's a different, a differently physical performance than last year's with Max Lloyd mm. Jones. And so they obviously just needed a different kind of uh, physical presence on camera. But that's part of what makes it sensational filmmaking in this case, because he's not just standing there or when he's, you know, flailing his lightsaber, he's not wearing a hood. I mean, mm. I, I guess I can tell because I know that it's not 26-year-old Mark Hamill or whatever. But, like, 
I, I can't believe how uh, forthcoming, how giving they were with yeah. with his presence in this episode and his action in this episode. Mm-hmm. He, he's moving everywhere. There's nothing, there, there's no hidden hood, like you said. There's no camera tricks to try and get around not having him do something. Mm-hmm. They're fully leaning into it as if he were there. Uh, there's a couple times in which you can... I'd say the worst thing about it is the uh, speech. Speech coming, uh, really feeling like it's coming out of his mouth. Yeah, They're able to execute it in a great way with the Mandalorian. I don't know what it, it, the helmet is able to create that barrier that works perfectly. Uh, And the most movements are are good. And it's, it's like, it's not like they're not lined up, but there is something missing that I can't quite put my finger on. It's almost as if it, maybe it's the voice booth angle. The fact that I can tell the wind hasn't carried Mark Hamill's voice. Like, and I know that they dub over a lot of things in movies, but it just feels maybe a little too voice boost. Mm -hmm. And so there's a couple points in which it feels very muted, the delivery and just the way it's portrayed. And there's one point it looks where his nose is broken. But other than that, it was mind blowing the way that they were able to, uh, like he's got a bit of a different hairstyle, but just be pulled back in and, and see Mark Hamill the way it is. There were almost shots where I felt like I could see the still from Return of the Jedi that his face was re-pulling from because yeah. how a deep fake works is just they're taking as many stills as they can find of a person's face and aligning them in the way that it would need to be done to create a realistic representation. And so with that, it's almost as if like, oh my God, that's an exact angle. And so like there are some shots where it looks almost more like Luke, yeah. whereas it doesn't not look like Luke in some shots, but there are some where you can maybe see it looks a little bit more like him. So I know that feels weird, uh, but overall, it, there's no way it's not by a country mile the best one we've ever had, and if not one of the best I've ever seen in any movie yeah. Uh, of anybody. And the most liberally used, with the exception of maybe the Irishman, which I didn't think was done incredibly well. Good. And it was also like quite like they didn't do it that much. They didn't put it to 11. They just kind of like like painted it a little bit with like watercolors. Mm-hmm. I can't speak to at all the way deep faking is done, uh, facial recreation and stuff. So I just like sit in awe of it. And I only have a cursory understanding of like audio production. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of true. Uh, mm. I, my only guess is that like what you're hearing that sounds just a little bit uncanny about his vocals is the product of them having had to overproduce his voice to make him sound younger, right? They're taking voiceovers by Mark Hamill, who's 40 years older than he was when he looked like this. And because mm. his voice is quite like deep and gruff now. And he's a great mm. voice actor. And maybe he can do a little bit just with his own talents he probably can Uh, but in order to make it sound younger they had to get really experimental with their vocal effects and in doing that they've made it sound a little bit like a Daft Punk song and they still did it pretty well oh absolutely yeah there's there's no complaints it was just in terms of if you're looking for something to be like oh that's how maybe the thing doesn't line up uh that that's where I would find the scene but good god it was 
it was near seamless. So it was a incredibly generous training episode. Half the episode was Luke training Grogu in both like the spiritual uh, components of the Force and also the physicality of the Force in like dodging bullets from the little training orb and uh, levitating frogs and uh, levitating yourself and jumping and also like meditating. Standing on one leg. Standing on one leg and uh, understanding what it means to be one with the Force. And he was in the backpack at one point and my God, it just goes on and on and on. There was, oh, I mean, very important that there's like a lot of direct Yoda talk. Like he he tells them oh, about yeah. Yoda and um, then there was just a, a, a tease of a Grogu flashback. Where oh, Luke says, I'm gonna, "I'm gonna help you remember your past," and he puts his hand on Grogu's little head, and we see an even younger Grogu, even smaller, and the, the his scope of vision is like kind of blurry, and just in front of him is three uh, other younglings being taken down by Order sixty six, and then it blacks out. I don't know if they're younglings. I think those were Jedi. I, I think I could be wrong, but I think it was supposed to be Syndralic in this okay. in the middle who would be the head of the Jedi Temple Guard. And so it would make sense for him to be kind of on the front line of defense in this situation. Uh, I think just because it was the kind of his I, I, very iconic blonde ponytail uh, and a kind of garb, but uh, I could be wrong on that. I didn't really do too much research in, into the specifics on it. Uh, but that was a great scene to be able to see the 501st coming in and having clones that were not, I don't think they were CGI first time ever that was so cool to actually see real clones and it was in this weird haze but at the same time it makes you think of what some of the flashbacks could be like of the clone wars with anakin and uh and obi-wan in the obi-wan show and it just gets you even more excited well and and what we got to know about this flashback is what happened next did did grogu take them down because he's that powerful and then and then where did he go or did he rather than getting assassinated did they break protocol and kidnap him did they hide him did they take him hostage because he looked like yoda and they figured that was an asset like what happened in between order 66 and him being found in a storage closet at the beginning of mando that's a great question in terms of i didn't think about Maybe he takes them out. I've been trying to rack my brain as who saves them. Because uh, that's what I just assumed, that somebody was right about to step in and save them. Maybe. Uh, but maybe it is that he gets taken into custody and gets saved later by somebody else. Uh, or maybe that he indeed does it himself and gets left in the Jedi Temple for a while and then somebody else brings it, like like some just random person on Coruscant finds him. Who knows? But yeah, that is that's going to be one of the big reveals that we'll get in Mando season three, as well as the decision. I, I certainly as- assume those will both be saved for Mando season three. Uh, but maybe well, I, they can't put that stuff in the next episode. That wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. No, they're going to come back to centralize Boba Fett in the season finale. And I mean, everybody will be there. Probably not Grogu mm. and Luke, but like certainly Mando will be very prominent in the season finale. But we're going to reintegrate Boba Fett in the finale of his own show. I'm sh- I'm sure it and I'm sure it'll be really good. Um Yes, he needs to ride his rancor. But this will be our I think our only appetizer for Grogu until until season 3, which is fine cuz it's not like it was stingy. Yes. 
Um, it was a phenomenal appetizer. Some, absolutely. Something I loved is when Luke and Grogu are walking through the woods and the way he's like taking these extra like, yeah, it, Luke is using the force to like kind of boost him forward just so he can keep up. Yeah, he's that, carrying his steps. That was really cute. That was during the Yoda history lesson. At one point, he uh, expressly says, you're trying too hard. Don't try, do. And so mm -hmm. he's like taking the lessons verbatim and it's so gratifying. Yeah, don't try, do. Um, really, that's all you got. Get back up. Always get back up. Uh, it's more like he's remembering than I'm actually teaching him anything. Um, it was that, that entire sequence uh, of Grogu like becoming a frog mm. and like really like flying around and hopping around and uh, dodging the bullets. That was so great to see Ahsoka and Luke off to the side together. Yeah, that was like, and of course, and then yes, the the backpack sequence and but it, just all of it. It was so hard to pick. Like the rewatchability of this episode cannot be overstated. Yeah, uh, in the connections with empire and all the other connections with other training montages too and it it uh reminds you of luke's training of ray as well when he's talking about the balance and whatnot well and, so and leia like i kind of thought like it's is it totally out of the question we could see leia in this episode and we didn't but it, it could have happened especially considering that was like, his first student yeah well that's the thing is i i think i didn't realize uh when we first saw luke last year was that he didn't really have anything going yet and so when we arrive on this planet and they're just building the school now, which by the way, so cool. Those droids were really awesome. It awesome. like, it was amazing to me that like, he's maybe the first Padawan. Grogu's the first Padawan at, at school Skywalker. Um, and so like, yeah, I guess Leia's kicking around here somewhere. Timeline wise, uh, I believe Leia only trains for about a year. I think she trains for the year post return of the Jedi. Um, and like Luke trains her right away. And then she, I, I assume, well, no, she sees the death of her son. So she would have already had, I don't know, never mind. I, I'm going to, that's going to kind of put a, an end to that. I don't think she trained. I, Luke says that Leia is her is first student, but that she doesn't kind of really graduate. I think this takes place before then. That's really all I'm trying to say. Well, unless uh, Grogu, in fact, doesn't continue to be a student of Luke's, like he might choose the chainmail over the lightsaber. I think he will. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Maybe I just hope that. I mean, the thing is, I wanted to have both so bad. And, and I know something that's frustrating about Luke as much as I, I'm excited to see him is how rigid he is here because it it's hard not to feel a little bit like he's being a hypocrite for still remaining close with his sister when he's telling his new student, you have to swear off all other earthly connections mm -hmm. and things that you love. Well, like, it's just a lucky loophole that Leia is your sister and has the force and she's married to Han. And by the way, she's married to Han and she gets to train as a Jedi. And like, it just it feels like there's inconsistencies and maybe the solution is going to have to be the discovery that Din also is force sensitive. And so it's okay for Grogu to be both a Mandalorian and a Jedi. And yeah, I don't I don't foresee that being the I think that's going to get major pushback now if they start to make Din force sensitive. Yeah. Uh, but I think the, the maybe loophole is the fact that and, I, and I've been on this for a while and I'm certainly not the only one. I really do believe the titular character, the Mandalorian is about Grogu. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, that is who the Mandalorian is. I, I believe Grogu will become the Mandalore. And I think uh, Luke's awesome line uh, describes it best. 
Uh, it will take you many years to master the ways of the force. And you may never see your friend, the Mandalorian again, because Grogu, a short time for you is a lifetime for someone yeah, else. Yeah, that's really interesting. You take pause after that, that line. Yeah, and I think that's the most important one because Grogu literally can have the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. What is his right? His right was the Beskar that Din found also for his foundling. What is also his right? Probably to inherit the Darksaber by conquering whoever will one day kill his father. Mm -hmm. That will be what happens. Din will one day die and the Darksaber will fall and Grogu will immediately kill whoever kills Din. Uh, and then Grogu will have the Darksaber by right and Grogu will be the heir to Mandalore uh, yeah. and thus have both lived his life with his father, learned and to be a Mandalorian and then gets to wield a lightsaber in the end too. So I think it's going to be the best of both worlds. Uh, and then also it means that he doesn't end up getting taken down by Kylo when <laughs> Kylo is born. <laughs> yeah, that can't be anyway. They, they just can't no. do that. No way. They would never. Listen, I, I don't think I, I can come up with any other specific things about this episode, but there are them. Like I, I know that I love to see the Naboo Starfighter. It's looking great. It, it is. It fits the character perfect. Yeah, I can't think of any other like wonderful fan service, but it's it's awesome, and I can't wait to watch it again. It's also fresh. It is uh, great to see R two and tricking Din as well. It was just so him. Um, and uh, is that a bench? I thought that was a really funny line. And he laid on it. He had an app on it. <laughs> yeah, it worked. It's perfect. Uh, I, I do have some really good quotes though, because it was a very quotable episode. Okay. I didn't see what's in that chest, and consequently, no laws have been broken, as far as I'm concerned. If you gentlemen load up your wares and head back to where he came, we can chalk this one up to you guys reading the map wrong. So cool. So <laughs> I mean, cool. That, one is, that oh, is so badass. Man. Yeah. Think it through. I can see you're the smart one. Well, then maybe I'll retire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, worth, it's worth more than your whole town. That was good, too. Mm -hmm. um, and just also, I had to write this one down because... It was just Din Jaren. I'm looking for Skywalker. I came to see the kid, Grogu. And it's just like, oh my God, that's just such a great line to hear in Star Wars. Yeah. Din speaking to R2D2, talking about Skywalker and Grogu. And it just it shows you who is in charge and that Favreau and Filoni uh, know what they're doing. Definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of love in that moment. Uh, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm an old friend of the family. Uh, he once said to me, size matters not. That's mm -hmm. how he talked. He, he would speak in riddles. Um, and he asks no him after that, do you, do you remember the people in your world speaking that way mm. too? And like, he kind of leaves it at that. We still don't really know where Grogu comes from or if he has any recollection of his species. They didn't give us much of that. But he should know Yoda because Yoda would have trained all of the all of the youngs. And so... Like Luke's talking about Yoda as if he didn't know him and he should have known Yoda. Maybe not though. Maybe it was day yeah. one. Maybe it was orientation. Maybe he, yeah, maybe he was early. Well, although he does seem to be remembering things mm -hmm. as opposed to learning them as Luke says. Yes. Um, so much like your father. That was also really nice when Ahsoka said that. Yeah. Sometimes the student guides the master. Uh, just overall. Yep. Classic. It was it's such a good episode. Great. Do you have any trivia or do you, do you want to spare me? Uh, I can give you a small amount of trivia. <laughs> okay. um, what were the colors of the Twi'leks who offered to clean the helmets of the pikes who bombed the sanctuary? 
uh, teal and orange. Uh, yellow and green. Ah. Um, but maybe the color settings on your computer were slightly off, in which case, yes, teal yeah. and orange is correct. <laughs> uh, who voices Cad Bane? Oh, I have no idea. Famous person? No, but I mentioned him earlier in the in, in this and figured I, I, that that made it fair game. Corey Burton. Uh, okay. But it was the main worry is that it just needed to be that voice. The, the, the character is the hat and the voice. And so you, it needed to be him back. They seem to have a really good understanding of whose voices are crucial to the existing canon. Like they've done that with Matt Whitwer, right? And uh, is that Sam his name? Whitwer, yeah. Sam Whitwer. Um, and then what's her name who plays uh, the other Mandalorian? So uh, they where they've recast some people, it's, you know, it's all right. And other cases, they seem to know where to draw the line. Yeah, I gotta say, Rosario Dawson killed it this episode. Yeah, she that did. Was pretty damn good. She was she played off some great Qui Gon Jinn vibes, which is always what I say you want from Ahsoka. And so, uh, in terms of being able to live action represent uh, an older Jedi guiding a young Skywalker as he's a young Jedi, that's uh, she killed it. <laughs> she well, really killed and it. Animated Ahsoka has a very youthful voice, and so even yeah. if that. Uh, Ashley Eckstein was like the the had the proportions to to play the role on screen. I mean, I guess it would be appropriate because you're already like used to the character sounding like that. But like something would, about yeah. Rosario Dawson feels more aged, more wise. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, what were the citizens in Freetown yelling for after Cobb was shot? Oh, I don't know. Med packs and stims. What are stims? Stimulants. So yeah, and the best part is like these are like literally in the vi Star Wars video games what your what your med packs are like, right, like yeah. all like when you go and like oh get a med pack or in uh, Jedi Fallen Order you have your BD droid and he gives you stims and every time you're low in health you inject yourself in the shoulder <laughs> and it reboots your health and so it's just one of those nice little uh, yes. Star Wars video games help enrich the canon as well nice they they're incredible with their attention to detail mm -hmm. absolutely and uh it was uh dave filoni directed and uh dave filoni and favreau written episodes so it was uh the title by the way is amazing it sounds like an old western title from the desert yeah. comes a stranger and i mean it's pretty obvious we're talking about cad bane literally here but like like so many like so many great star wars titles you could pick it apart and apply that titular character to a lot of different people from the desert comes a stranger is also the story of Luke Skywalker. It's the story of Anakin Skywalker. It's the story of Boba Fett. It's the story of, uh, I mean, Bob it, of Ray. It's, it's the, it's a lot of, it's a lot of them. It's it. Absolutely. It's a really, really cool sounding phrase. Yeah. And I mean, Hey, even three PO and R2 at yeah. the start of, yeah. So yeah, it, I never really thought about just how specifically it, transcends so many different characters in star wars so that is oh, yeah. you could call that, all that of star wars from the it. desert comes a stranger <laughs> yeah you really could yeah but that that silhouette was uh was was something to see that was amazing sure. yeah okay any other thoughts on this episode that we can contain within one podcast no i don't think there is i, I feel like i've not had a good uh containment of my thoughts i've just been so incredibly excited about it but yeah, that's, that's uh i, I, I cut right. myself off for that because it was just uh, too uh, too enjoyable well uh, that's all i can say you're now. gonna have a million more thoughts about this episode before next week's finale and you can Probably. incorporate those into our big uh 
uh, rollicking conversation about the series as a whole um, next week, because there is just one more episode of the Book of Boba Fett season one. That's very, very exciting. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to like send us your thoughts about this penultimate episode, oh my God, I know you got them. You got to email us, recorder66podcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at recorder66. Um, I, I should say some, some birthdays as well. Uh, on Thursday, February 3rd, a happy birthday to Warwick Davis. And uh, on Tuesday, February 8th, a happy birthday to John Williams, who actually did make an appearance in this in this episode. We heard some some force theme. We certainly did. This was a, a very well-scored episode. It was that uh, great Luke and uh, Grogu theme from the end of season two of Mando. That was in it at one point. And so it was uh, overall uh, an excellent, well, what else can we say? The episode was a, was a stunner top to, top to bottom. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on your preferred podcast app. Or if you're joining us on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe over there as well so that we can find more Star Wars fans just like us. Until we are together again, may the Force be with you.